0: All right. Good morning, everyone. We'll go ahead and and um, and get started. What we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to turn to your Bibles to Psalm 119. What we're going to do is we're going to I'm going to make one announcement. We're going to have prayer requests and announcements at the end. So I'm going to end closer to closer to 10 o'clock, and then Nathan take from there. Give me a little bit of a of a delay. Give me a few more minutes before I get back to. To the other service. My only concern throughout the morning is not losing my voice in the process and say, Mark, you're, you're next. You're batter up. You're, yeah. you're a baseball guy. You're batter up. You're a pitch. Yeah, there you go. You may want some advance notice on that. But um, let me say a couple things. One, we, we've we got Psalm 119 and we'll look at today, finish up the one that we're looking at, and, and, and probably go through uh, versus one twenty one through one twenty eight, and pull a few things from there, and get back on track just a, a little bit. Um, we have six stanzas left after this one. So, what I'm thinking about doing after that, just for a couple segments, is have a little more of a not a panel Q A. I'm no panels; it'll train anything to say. I don't I have a panel, but we'll at least questions and Q and A. And I talked to you about having questions about parenting tips, and if we have enough questions, we'll combine those, and we should have a good mixture in the class of people who have experience on both ends of the spectrum. We have the newbies who know everything but don't know anything, and we they have those who know more than they should know, and they're on the other end of the spectrum, and there's those who they wish they knew that they didn't know then or whatever. We have a little bit of everything, I'm sure, and so I have the opportunity to ask questions. I, I, I don't want to make it this big long lesson on parenting, big long lesson on how to love your wife and how to submit to your husband or whatever it is, you know. I, I, I said that. I shouldn't have said it. I think early in the morning throw those words out. But, um, save, your voice. save my voice. That's right. So send me some questions by email. It's going to be hard to have a QA and a with no Q's. And just about, A's. How do we do it anonymously? You know, I have this friend. That's, that's, the way <laughs> that's the way it starts. That's the way it starts. With your friend. So, Listen, we all we've all experienced the same things. No one here has a magical wand on how to make your children obey, how to make your wife obe- I mean, um, okay. no, there's no miracle <laughs> wand to this. But I did. So, and use your voice and elaborate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let me indulge me just for one moment because I saw this and I thought, I wonder how many how many of you, hopefully not this morning, but how many of you can? Hey, can you hurry up? Can can you be, hurry. On, hold on hold, on, hold on, hold on. Oh, oh, that's I, that's on. I know, down? I know. I know. Yeah, he's to himself. Yes, but I didn't close the PowerPoint correctly. That's alright. Let me close this out correctly. Shut this PowerPoint down. All right. Shut it down. I don't know if I'm to save. All right. Hold on a second. Oh, that desktop gives me anxiety. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, Nate's under Nate's under his chair right now. <laughs> hey, we're going like 20 miles to cares? Aren't What are you doing? Dry shampoo. Do you think I have time to shower? Why are you trying to Wake up earlier. Can't help me with the kids. I, mean, I do everything in this house. Yeah, I, I Faith, that seatbelt not... thing drives me crazy, gives me a headache. Can you buckle up? Okay, I mean, <laughs> maybe if you would do your job, I wouldn't have to. Mom, Dylan's mad. Why? Why is he mad? Okay, triceratops aren't even in They're the not Bible. Bible. They don't learn do creation. Put something of your eyes. Did you not get any sleep? I got plenty of sleep. I'm fine. What? Daddy stayed up playing poker. Okay, enough. Play with the Barbie. Can <laughs> you please learn how to drive? Listen, do your makeup at the house. I don't One have time. What is this? Chocolate or poop? <laughs> <laughs> Baby, I'm trying to put my lipstick on. If you could. He's, put- le- he's learning about just let him shoot, okay? I like, I like this one. Mom, don't watch videos on dad's phone. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. Tell Dylan that Daddy's texting and driving and the kids. All right, I'm on the GPS. So maybe if you went to church more, you wouldn't have to look at where it is. Can you stop getting your brother, please? I promise you, if I have to pull this car over, these things are about to keep If your mother didn't have so many headaches at night, then maybe I wouldn't be such an irritable mood. get control of your family. get control of the steering coffee. wheel, please. On. How long has this coffee been in here? I don't know, since last weekend, Oh, I'm in charge of the kids. Uh, I don't know why, submit to your husbands. Ever read that verse? <laughs> Ever heard the song It takes two to make a thing go That's not a Bible verse. <laughs> Sorry, kids. It sounds like Daddy needs a little N A P T I M E. Okay, maybe Barbie needs some M E R L O T again. Where's Barbie? Barbie's staying at home today. Okay, maybe Barbie stayed at home because she put on her makeup at the house. Maybe Barbie needs a new kid. <laughs>
1: Another baby? We're not guys, going to the playground.
0: Uh, quiet! I can't handle it. So are going to church. Well, I hope the sermon series is on patience today. Okay, what? You need it. On, where is it? Can Come you give me that playground? Not... Okay, can... I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know if that you know feels like your morning. I hope it doesn't. <laughs> Want in it there,
1: it's,
0: it's That's why me- we live close to the church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, indeed. So, all right. You know, it's interesting. It, it's amazing how we get locked in our own thoughts and minds, and we, we think that what's happening to us is so unique, and, and it's not. Human nature being what it is, we, we all have, the, they all point their head in the same way, and the struggles are the same, and... and so many sometimes people come to me and say, "Oh, I, I struggle with this this one thing, and I, like no one else does." And I'm like, "Well, you're, now you're about the fifth one this week, but yeah, you're you're pretty unique. Uh, we just we're, we're human beings, and the flesh uh, is is not unique in the way it manifests itself in the struggles that come with that. So, um, yeah, if you I love to be able to just see what areas in your life. I don't want to wait two years and three years to find out that." Yeah, I wish I'd known this or that and have questions about things, so I just want to kind of give that a good opportunity. So we have six more stanzas, and after that we're going to pick up a little bit on the on Q&A if I have enough uh, questions that would, would come through on that, and we'll, we'll look at that. Otherwise, Mark always has a good lesson on how to use a rod right? the R-O-D. It's called the R-O-D. And so that's gonna be the name of our next child. <laughs> 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 that's, the oh, that's the magic wand. That's the magic one. That's right. You to have to buy them, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, Psalm one nineteen. We 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 looked at last time. We walked through two things. One, we went through what it means to be a single-minded man, and I. I don't know if I was challenged from that in walking through even the, the sermon topic uh, for for this morning and, and James 4, where he talks about that, but talked about the, the marks of a single-minded man. We went through his his love for God's word, refuge in the word, walk through these things, and then we were walking through the two streams that were presented in the, in the stanza, one that represents the double-minded man, that one represents the single-minded man. What does a double-minded man look like? If I were to... To ask you, let me see where we got my notes here. Okay, right before. All right, hold on, i almost there. All right, if I were to ask you, what what does a double-minded person look like? We talk about the definition of it. Why it, it's um. Someone who's got conflicted thoughts, conflicted opinions, how long will you limp, As what he's saying in my proper how long will you limp between two different opinions? So having a conflicted opinions about something. So what does a conflicted person, a, a double-minded man, what would you expect him to look like? We went through James 1 and talked about it a little bit. We went through Elijah, First Kings 18, talked about some of the manifestations of it. What would you say, just as a general observation, what would be some some things you would expect from a double-minded person. Frustrated. Frustrated. Interesting. True, right? You're, you're frustration. You're, you're this fence straddler, but you're you a frustrated person. Turmoil. You're in turmoil. You're in turmoil. Possibly Anger. Anger. Interesting. The, the the outpourings of it. What it means to not to, to be conflicted and be a double-minded person. Anger, turmoil, frustrated. Yeah. What else? Insecure. Insecure. Anxiety. Anxiety. You may have seen this at work. You you've seen somebody at work who's um they're committed to leaving already. They know they're going to go to another job, another place. They're finishing up the term, they're finishing up the time. They're this lame duck position, right? And you start getting what? Discontented, frustrated, because you're already now looking... Your, your allegiance now is no longer where you're at. You're already now projecting yourself somewhere else, and there's that internal internal struggle that takes place. I wonder how many of our own struggles stem from that problem, is that we're, we're double-minded. We have conflicted interests, in and we talked about that a little bit in, in this morning's sermon, so I don't want to overlap much with that. But having, having divided... What we see in, in our text... <coughs> Divided affections, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. I you know he, he, he pulls that contrast between the double-minded person with the person who loves the law. So there's this incomplete love. There's this imperfect love. There's this uncommitted love. There's a, a liking for the law, perhaps, an awareness of the law. There's a knowledge of the law, but is there a love of the law? And when that, that aspect is, is missing, these, this, these divided affections... He acts in a way contrary to God's word. Uh, we see that in in uh, verse 115. a the first part, he calls them the evil doers. Depart from you, evil doers, that I may keep the commandments of God. A a conflicted person, a double-minded person, is someone who is is walking in a way contrary. He's conflicting the way that he's walking. He's walking in a way that's contrary to God's word. So, in other words, it's not just the fact that hey. I, I've got. I'm conflicted in my thoughts, and I've got uh, this turmoil. But my actions are going to reflect that. I'm going to have a hard time being being committed. I'm going to have a hard time being um, <clears throat> walking a way that is consistent with God's word. But also in one eighteen, he's deceived and he <clears throat> deceives. Sometimes we forget that people are deceived. We see them as deceivers. Well, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we observe behavior. One thing about about school, you can always observe behavior. You observe a lot of behavior. And reality. This part of it is not just that, that that child is is acting in a way that's contrary to the word, but they're deceiving themselves. They think they're right in doing so. They think they're they're justified in doing so. In other words, it's not just someone that's manipulating the word, someone that's intentionally saying, I, he's going to deceive the word. They, they become deceived, and the more you, you are uh, in conflict with the word, and the more you're double-minded, the more you deceive yourself into thinking that it's okay, or thinking that this is right or that is wrong, and he is deceived and he he deceives. So what a contrast between the these these two paths, these two streams that we see in the stanza between a single-minded person and a double-minded person. And the last one he uses is in the verse in verse one nineteen. Says in all the wicked of the earth, you discard like dross. Now. Unless you're an English teacher like my wife, he knows every word there is in the English language. Uh, I had to make sure I understood what he meant by this. Therefore, I love your, your testimonies. So the word dross we find later if you look in Scripture. One thing you, you try to find out, not just how the word is, is explained here. You want to understand how it's used elsewhere. One well, of the best ways to understand if I'm using the word correctly is that how is it used elsewhere in Scripture. Well, in Proverbs 25, he says, I take away the dross from the silver. The dross is what is the, the baser metal separated from the pure silver through the process of fire or melting. So what are you saying? So the dross is that, when, you, when the purifying process, the dross is that part that's removed from the pure silver in that purifying process. The wicked... He says, "All the wicked of the earth, you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies." The mark, one of the marks of a double-minded person, is that everything that he's doing, what he's involved in, what he's investing in, is just dross. It's temporal. It will not stand the test of time. It will not test stand the test of that fire. And so, as by fire, those works will be tested and proven to be, but dross, but disregarded, but, uh, but, but rejected. So. What what a, a picture of the contrast between the, the single-minded person that's the single passion for God that loves the Word, submits to the Word, and has the statue before be continually, and the double-minded man who, even in description of what we have here, and even as you add to uh, – I think James 1 just gives the best picture of that because he walks through the unst- un- instability of a double-minded person. So let, let me pause here at the end of, of this sentence and say this. When, when I see in my own life <clears throat> instability, insecurities, frustrations, um, anxiety and anger, these things that, that, that ensue, that pour out, one of the first things I need to examine is, is do I have a single-minded heart and passion for the Lord? Because Usually what there is in play is conflicted passions there. I'm elevating something. I'm elevating my worth, what's important to me, validation, what people think of me. I'm elevating something else that's conflicting with that and makes me a double-minded person. And, what I, and sometimes I come to the point where I'm deceiving myself. And in doing so, bring out, bring about this, this destruction and investing in things that are but dross. I mean, does anybody here want to... Uh, be discarded like dross. I mean, does anybody here Now, We want something that uh, tests, that passed the test of fi- uh, of time, and that when it's purified, um, and what's left is the Word of God, which is eternal. Just, so I'm going to say n'est-ce n'est I probably should throw. I probably should just teach you French. It'd be easier than me adjusting <laughs> to French words. I should just teach you French. That'd be, might be quicker as well. Look at our next uh, our next stanza, verse 121. <clears throat> Verse one twenty one. I'm going to pull a few a few observations from. I think I should have in here. know I have done. Verse one. Verse one twenty one. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. One key word you'll see here as you just read through it once. You'll see the word servant pop out. It'll pop out first in one twenty two and one twenty four and one twenty five. He said, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good, and let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. Again, this is the steadfast love, beautiful in verse 124. It's the covenantal love. It's God's commitment to love. right, it's not this reciprocal love where I love you, you love me. It's God's covenantal love. And teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act. Now, I come to this. It sounds like he's he's, he's telling the Lord, hey, it's time for you to act. But what he's saying is I'm waiting on the Lord's – I'm waiting faithfully for him to act. We'll come on that in just a moment. It's time for the Lord to act. Your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. So we went from this dross that's been discarded, that, that the purification process and silver is left, and now this image of gold. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold, purified gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every every false way. Verse 21, I've done what is just and right. The author makes a claim as in, as to his Ethical integrity, meaning ethical integrity, is the idea of I, I. am faithful to the word, and I act accordingly. I've acted in accordance to the truth that has been that has been proclaimed. To me, PowerPoints for me today. Um, <coughs> we see this this demonstration by his 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 claim that he's doing what is just, and. What is right? But from there, he, he does make <clears throat> he does have certain expectations. But now, what expectations does the author have in light of this claim? So he first of all he makes an affirmation. He makes two things. If you break down the, this this stanza, first we see what some will call an ethical affirmation, meaning his his faith wants to be obedience to the word and be an ethical an ethical affirmation in verse one twenty one one twenty two. Others describe a devotional affirmation in verses one twenty three and one twenty four. And then the relational affirmation in one twenty-five and one twenty-eight. So he makes these he makes these three affirmations, but with that he gives expectations that follow those affirmations. So the first one in verse one twenty-one, right? He says, "I I'm doing what is just and right." What is his What is his expectation from from that based on on that that claim? He's making this affirmation of what is just. What's his expectation that follows? What does he say in 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 our pass in our in the entire stanza? Makes it, he makes a claim, right? He makes this expectation claim. And he said, I've done what's right and just. Then he says what? Give, me your, give your servant a pledge of good. Um, give me grace. Give me good. Give me, uh, rescue me, verse 1, 122 as well. Let not the insolent oppress me. Don't let me be under the oppressor. So while he's making a claim to you, and this is not a, a prideful claim. He's saying simply that, Lord, I've been faithful in obedience to your word and given that, would you grace me with your goodness? Would you grace me with deliverance from my oppressor? He can make that claim. make makes me think of the author, I think, in, in the... Uh, I don't know if it's in... I was reading that recently, but I'm often reminded of how the... You know, the uh, when you're conscious is clear, you can sleep peacefully. In other words, there, there's something about living at peace with God and live in a relationship with God that is, that is uh, true and authentic and, and, and faithful. And from there, expect from God that he will prove himself to be who he says to be. He'll demonstrate his love, he'll demonstrate he, uh, his goodness, and he'll do so by doing good to his servant and not allowing the insolent or the oppressor to, to oppress him. He said, do not leave me, this, this, this idea of not, do not leave me alone, do not leave me as mercy, do not leave me in the hands of this oppressor. Actually, interestingly enough, even though we, we understand the concept of oppressor, it's the first time that the word oppressor is being used in this verse. So he's, he's referenced a few times already in Psalm 119 the idea of being oppressed. But now he identifies someone as being an oppressor. And what I, I – I dug just a little bit deeper in that. Since it's the first time he uses them as a descriptive to describe a person, I went a little bit – one layer deeper to understand what he means by being what, – what is this oppressor and how do you identify an oppressor? If I were to ask you uh, – why I put it here. What, what is an oppressor? If I were to ask you what is – and we're talking about in the spiritual realm. He's, he's obviously wanting to follow the law. talks about those who ensnare him. talks about the enemies. What does an oppressor look like? Do you have anybody to oppress you? Maybe you have nobody to oppress you. Yeah, I could pray that God would give you an oppressor this week and you come back and define it for me next week. <laughs> we got it. It's tax season. Tax season. We're not going to say who the oppressor might be in that case. What's an oppressor look like? More powerful than you, takes away what's yours unjustly. Someone that acts unjustly, he has maybe power, pressure. Authority over you. What's another picture of, uh, of an oppressor? A bully. A bully. Someone that tries to exert some form of undue influence through bullying. Someone pulls you aside from doing what you know to be good. Someone pulls you aside from what you know and you should be doing, knowing going to be good. That's why he makes this claim: I, I, I do right, I do justly. Someone an oppressor, someone that tries to pull you from that. <clears throat> You might have people in your entourage that, that that do that, that try to draw you from, that try to pull you from. They're opp- oppressors. Now, we think of the term oppressing while they're you – know, it's a very – it's a strong term. You might be surrounded by by friends that are oppressors because in reality they're trying to, to draw you and draw you away from, from doing what is right and doing what is good. I, and here's the root word, and I, I found it interesting because you start there and expand the, the understanding of the word. So I put it down as a definition so the root often suggests roughness, injustice. Someone we'll mentioned that. And in Aramaic, it also carries the nuance of accusation and slander. So someone that is accusatory, that is slanderous, slanderous for, for a man who loves the word. What's being slanderous for a man who loves the word? How can he slander the psalmist if he if, if the psalmist claims to be a man of the word, a man of truth? Slandering him saying, if You don't love God. Your God's not good. God has abandoned you. I mean, there, there are many ways that the oppression can take form. So, an oppressor is someone who—the word, the root word—suggests roughness, suggests injustice, carries a nuance of accusation and slander. Often, in the Old Testament, it is the root word that characterizes a lifestyle which is conceptually antithetical to that exemplified in what He just described, verse twenty-one. So, what am I saying? It says, It's not just an oppressor, not just someone who who might physically come and try to aggressively pull you from. It's someone who lives a life in such a way that is so antithetical to what you're doing that they're oppressing the way you're living your life. When I hear hear someone say, my best friends are unbelievers, what does that tell you? There's a problem with that statement. The unbelieving world is nicer than. There's a problem with that statement. I know people in church, and I know people in the world are nicer than the people in church. What what did Mark say the other day? You're you're telling on yourself. You're really telling on yourself a lot when you say that. Because what you're saying is that you're surrounded by people that are not so much oppressing you that are probably a lot more congruent with you than what you think. Because there's no way that you, that oil and water can mix. And if you're living in a world and you're living in the world unbelievers and you find yourself a lot more congruent with them, then this probably says a lot more about you than it does about them. Secondly, it says a lot about perhaps the fact that you haven't ever touched one of their idols and see how they respond when you touch one of their idols. It's easy to talk about the weather and easy to, to bash the redskins or the... Why are they called now the commanders? commanders. commanders. Yeah, if they all agree to bash the same people, then we're all. Won't you? Won't you touch something that, that, that hits a little closer to home? Touch a little idol they have on that shelf. See what they think about Jesus. See what they think about going to church. All of a sudden, we, I, I had a good friend. Deep. Played table tennis with him for ten years. Same club, same team together. We went competition together. Nice guy. Everybody loves him. Until you talk about spiritual things. And then one day he could sense he got a little bit indignant. It was just a spiritual conversation. It wasn't anything very aggressive at all. It was just talk about spiritual things. Well, yeah, I don't I don't need that crutch. Bam, on that one moment. Now we talk about table tennis, we're having a good time. Except when I beat him, wasn't too happy. <laughs> That's alright, I get ahead handle that. But he touches idol, and I'm you know, and the reality is the the unbelieving world. These oppressors are those who live in a way, first and foremost, contrary to what I claim to believe and to what I claim to be, to love and be passionate about. And if there's not much of a distinction between me and the world. It's because I haven't created that distance. The world is going to be the world. They're going to be who they are. It's because I haven't created that separation in the way I live and the way I, the passions that I express. If you're a believer, it cannot help but ooze out of you your love and passion for God. It doesn't mean that you're quoting the Romans wrote and the King James every chance you get but it means everything your thoughts and your mind and your words are going to be aligned themselves with truth it's going to be aligned yourself with the law of God and that's going to be manifest and it won't take long when you talk to somebody that that will become quickly evident he says in 122 he says give your servant a pledge of good this, this idea of giving is is really the description of error for be, be surety for which means stand Stand in my place and guarantee, it's a legal term, talking about a, a legal responsibility. The clear intent in this, in this part of, first part of verse 122, the clear intent of these words is that God would be the mediator, placing himself between the servant and all of his enemies. The, the description that he's asking when he says, give your servant, he's asking, he's asking God to step in between him and all his oppressors. And then don't let the, the incident oppress me. Don't let him exercise that pressure on me. Verse 123 says, My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. His longing. And, and, and from 122 to 125, he walks into this, this, this step-by-step description, a pattern that you see here in verse 123. Begins with, he shifts his focus here on, the salvation that comes from God. Look at verse, uh, verse verse, 123. My eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Then he walks into, one twenty four. The he, he brings up the covenantal relationship with God, your steadfast love, your covenantal love to me. On the basis of that, which means on the basis of, of God's salvation, anchored in God's covenantal, unconditional love for me, then from there, he's going to ask for what? He's going to ask that on those bases that uh, this, this covenant of love is the basis for salvation. It's the basis of his relationship as a servant with his master. And is the basis for his understanding that is given and is basis of his ability to walk in truth. What he walks through in these few verses here is, is three things. One, based on your salvation – that is brought about by your covenantal, unconditional love and grace to me. Give me, teach me, and give me the ability to walk in truth and understanding. He never, he never takes claim. We, we see he almost comes full circle around what allows him to be ultimately the person that walks and the ability to walk in truth It's someone who God has grace with His covenantal love. And his salvation that allows him to be taught truth, to understand truth, to see truth, and then to walk in truth. When he says this part here where he says that I – in the part of um, verse 125 as he finishes his thought, he says that I may know your testimonies. One author probably, – I probably have PowerPoint here somewhere. I don't know. I have to go back on the you don't need a powerpoint i like i wanted to quote here as I was looking for this quote here i thought i would have it look what he says about this this understand what it means to this last part of verse 25 that i may know your testimony he says experiences becomes a reality in a relationship based on familiarity with a person or thing the use of the word yada which is I, that i may know start word people it's not yoda it's yada Make sure but if Yoda helps you remember the use of Yada in the wisdom literature is an example of this. It speaks of a knowledge which is empirical in nature, which means it is observed and experienced and living. The old testament regards knowledge as something which continually arises from personal encounter. We we tend to have knowledge as the separate knowledge base, right? We study the word, we're digging into the word, we're we're, we're pouring at this. What he's saying is that knowledge is this empirical knowledge is based on the ability to observe and experience truth. So when he's saying, Lord, with, with this, with your salvation, through your covenantal grace given to me, through gives me teaching, teach me understanding that I may know your statutes or your testimonies, rather, <clears throat> this, this – what he's asking for and what he's seeking is – is not just a head knowledge, but a, a life-changing knowledge that comes from experiencing truth, observing truth, and living out that truth. Verse 126, I said he, he kind of gives a strong statement here. He says, It's time for the Lord to act. I mean, when I read that, I first think, Oh, wait a minute. I mean, now he's getting awful bold. I want to walk away from him. He might get zapped on this one. But he says, The, the, the idea that it's, it's, the way it's worded really is an assertion of faith rather than command. He's saying, when he's saying it's time for the Lord to act, he's making a proclamation of faith that God's going to act. He's not commanding God. God, hey, it's time for you to act now. He's saying he's making a proclamation of certain faith that God is going to to act. One, two more small things observation. Isn't it a little bit interesting that he, he walks from end of 126... He says, For your law has been broken, therefore I love your commandments. I think well, that's, a, that's a weird transition. He went from the law is broken, therefore I love your, your commandments. How, what what does that transition indicate and why, why use that? And what one author described I thought was very helpful is that it, it, may, seem, though it may seem out of place, to follow those that break the law, which therefore I love. What we see, however, is a contrary. says the more opposition grows, the more devoted the believer becomes in his commitment and devotion to Christ. What he's saying is that that, that opposition of those breaking the law push me towards loving your law even more. I think all of us we see some of that in a, in a relational piece with culture when we see culture expound on their wickedness true believers and lovers of God's word we're going to do what? we're going we're gonna to be attached that much more to the word Had a lady come to school touring the school uh, maybe a month ago she says the question she asked to the lady who showed her around school would my daughter be confused here? I said it depends if you have Nancy Lavinus class Nancy's Nancy. But otherwise, when my daughter would be confused, I'd ask, what do you mean? she says, well, I mean, are girls girls and boys boys? It's amazing how, how, how in face with wickedness, the believer wants to run closer to God's word and, and clean that much more in the devotion to God. I, I trust that in, in the wickedness of the nation that we, that we live in, not America per se, but society as a whole, Weakness of man. I, th- I I would hope that our desire would be run, and our commitment in face of those breaking the law. We say, "Lord, I love Your law," and respond in a, in a in a hot and cold fashion, not this double-minded fashion that we saw in the previous stanza. And then he he describes it by saying he loves. Uh, his love for God's commandments surpasses that which is most precious to man—fine gold. He takes that which most, that which society would consider the most valuable and the most precious. I love that more than the best and the most precious things the world has to offer. Therefore, he ends in verse one twenty-eight. So, therefore, I consider all your precepts, considering, meaning not not considering in the sense I'm thinking about it. Considering in the sense that I am harmonizing your precepts with my walk to where I could walk in a way that is right. He's not describing a consideration like I'm giving this considerable thought. I'm going to think about it. He's saying, therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. And I'm going to harmonize my life with those precepts. I hate every false way. I'll tell you, the the more you love... In the Word, the more you're immersed in it, the more you read it, the more you will respond the way he does. And you'll see the oppressor, those who oppress us, are not necessarily those who come out to you and say, Hey, man, you're, you're such a, you know, and point the finger at what you're doing. You might have that as well. But those that are oppressing you might be those who you spend the most time with, that you work with. It might be family. And they're sitting there, and their way of life is so contrary to what you're experiencing that they're, they're oppressing that. May, may, may the Lord give you a response that would be such that it would be, Lord, in the face of this, may I love your law, may I love your law even, even more. So I think I'm I'm going to stop there with this stanza and pick up the next stanza next week. I don't know about Easter. Is Easter?
1: Sunday
0: school. Middle Sunday school for Easter. So we still have another Sunday and then Easter, right? Is it two, two or three weeks? Two weeks I got two more Sundays? Two more, two more okay. Sundays Sundays. So... Keep track of that a little bit when you see some of the announcements. I'm gonna let Nathan come now, take some prayer requests, and uh closes in prayer, and I'm gonna go over